Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast. Delighted today, part of my history is about working in development areas with internal audit. And it started at Barclays, um, and from Barclays, it's grown into other different areas, uh, right across pharmaceuticals, uh, into uh, insurance. And it's, it's interesting when you start to map the people I started to work with at the beginning of my work internal audit, one of those Paul Day. And Paul Day now is at uh, Standard Chartered. Um, just six months in. So today you'll hear from Paul about his journey. You'll hear about internal audit. You'll start to understand if you don't, how that fits in and the work. It's, it's a critical part in financial services and pharma and other industries. So it's that bit. But I, what I love today is just listening to some of the threads that he has through and the stand up for what you believe in the purpose side. And there's, it's a bit that sometimes is overlooked when we're looking at internal order work, risk work, compliance work, and um, that we don't get to that purpose. So um, listen in, check in with what Paul's got to say. Love your feedback at the end of it. Paul Day, it's, uh, we've had a history with connection work stories we keep running into each other on different pieces of work and it's uh, it's uh, so nice to get the chance to to talk today but for those who don't know you like i do maybe just a bit of background who you are yeah yeah sure colin thank you thank you very much for you know giving me the opportunity to you know just to share some thoughts oh, look, so by way of background um i think i'm approaching the end of my third decade in financial services assurance and that, that sounds like a lot of assurance. It's been across uh, external audit and internal audit. It's been uh, working in, indus- in industry, but also working in consulting with, you know, with, with big firms. And sort of chronologically, I, uh, after university, I joined Arthur Anderson and spent 10 years doing external audit across financial services, right up to the point where Anderson rather spectacularly stopped existing. Um, and in the bits of the year when I wasn't doing a year-end financial statement attest work, I was working with clients, helping them reduce risk by understanding process risk and control. And that's a theme that goes that goes all the way through my career. Anyway, after 10 years there, I joined Barclays Internal Audit. Uh, that was my first internal audit gig. Uh, that was a really special team, worked with... Uh, worked with many superstars. It, it's it's clear looking back that there was something special happening in that in that team at that point. Um, but then after after a decade as a cost centre, I sometimes say I returned to uh, to uh, Anderson, which had now become Deloitte in the UK, and uh, I led the UK financial services internal audit practice. And I learned many things there. There are some 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 wonderful people there. But in particular, I learned the power of uh, consulting with others. You know, the, the the power of sharing your views with with others, with 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 you know, with uh, a broad range of experts, and the power that you can that you can generate with that. Then I I moved back into into industry. I I joined Lloyd's Bank. I led the internal audit function there. That is a really amazing organisation. Really very purpose led. A lot of great people working collaboratively to to create great outcomes for their customers and, cl- and, and clients it's uh, uh i had a wonderful time there and then i blinked and um six months at standard charter bank have flown past 
Uh, so I had the same job there as a lawyer to lead the internal audit function. I'm blessed with a with a fantastic audit team that operates again in a in a, in a really purpose led organisation. So that's sort of my 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 background. I I think of myself as really in 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 sort of three words. Uh, one would be inquisitive or curious. Um, I. I, I keep asking questions. It's one of the one of the joys of my of my job working in internal order, is it gives me a fantastic place to ask questions like, how does how does it work? Why why does it work that way? Um, could it work better? Should it you know should it work better? Is it is it optimized from a you know a cost or a risk perspective, etc. And Colin, I was the the kid that when the radio stopped working, I'd reach for the screwdriver and start taking it apart. <laughs> It was it was normally unsuccessful in in the repair job, but I was curious to know how it worked. Um, and then the second word I'd I'd use to describe myself is is direct. Um, you know, the business of assurance is about expressing views to others on how on, on the accuracy of something or how well something something works. Uh, and I, I found in my career you have to be you have to be prepared to be direct at that. You know. Um, the phrase of willing to speak truth to power was created for internal audit functions. Yeah? I mean, yeah. we need to be polite, but but directness is a is a you know, a core a core attribute, and and um, and I think I'm I'm uh, polite but direct. Can we squirrel off that before you get to your third? Because for people listening who don't know internal audit, yeah. Um, so I get it, and I I think it's one of the the best setups that's ever been put in place in an organisation in terms of the three lines of defence, but the third line of defence. It'd be nice to hear just in a potted, you know, when you're talking to your non-audit friends, what the hell you do? What do you say? You'll be delighted. Now I do I do actually have some non-audit friends. Uh, when they when they ask, I say we are here to I am here to protect the organisation, you know, to protect it, to help protect it. Uh, we work for the board, and we tell the board whether the systems are process and control work well enough to manage risk. Um, so it's a sort of combination um, advisor, critical friend, um, but when done well, it can add tremendous amounts of value to to the board and to uh, and to management. Colin, you've heard the analogy about the racing car and where. The role of the you know the role of the auditor is to tell the organisation that the system of speedometer, brakes, you know all the other control uh, control activities that those work well enough so that the driver can go fast. Which I love, and I I think there's there's been some recent history with financial services organisations who've been under regulatory scrutiny, um, and that ability not to go fast or hold back affects the culture. So a lot of this is about assurance to allow the culture to one of assurance to to drive forward at speed, or for those listening uh, to be able to react well to client needs, yeah, in the moment. Yeah, Colin, yeah. that, that that's absolutely right, and look. Um, from my perspective, the internal audit industry has got a, um, you know, has has to look back at whether it did a decent enough job in in the period leading up to, you know, leading up to the last, you know, the global financial crisis, and got to, we, we have to look at ourselves and say, did we, you know, collectively and individually do a do a decent enough job? You know, if it was running hot, if, if the systems are running hot, were we calling it out? 
um, and, you know, and r- really for the purpose of seizing that opportunity to make the future better. How might we react differently you know, in the future? Are we prepared to say, guys, before we invest in this business, in growth in this business, have we invested enough in in the infrastructure, you know, in the back office so that it'll, uh, it can go fast and also, you know, in control? So I really see the curiosity piece coming in there. And I see the directness as well, because we know a few people like yourself who have the willingness to speak directly. But it's not just getting you, you heard. It's about getting things done as well. It's the ability to influence without authority sometimes to do, to get things done as well. And your third, what was your third? Yeah, the third word I'd use to describe myself is uh, driven. Hmm. I feel I must take every opportunity uh, and really maximize the value of that opportunity. And, yeah, really to, I mean, grandly to make the world better, or at least to make that bit of the world that's in front of you, that's in front of you better. I'm a big believer in uh, Brailsford's accumulation of marginal gains. So if you can make all the little things work just a little bit better, overall you can get a a much more powerful powerful outcome. And then, of course, sometimes we're presented with, um, with big opportunities, I feel we shouldn't waste those. I feel we should seize those with both hands and really, really get as much value out of them as we can. Mm, I love it. So curiosity, directness, and the driven things that, uh, and and a lot of your work is about marginal gains, isn't it? I mean, it is, in some ways, it's it's a detecting in the risk and control framework, but it is about marginal gains to allow the business to operate in a better way. I wanted to pick out on a few things in there before we go into your um, your leadership history, because there's, there's something for me about um, when we look at the types of risk in business, a lot of people don't understand the, the the risks that can be in a financial services or a pharma business. The amount of risks and the type of risks that you are responsible for and accountable for—it's almost like MI6 avoiding a terrorist attack in a lot of ways. There's a lot of work that goes on which is unseen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look the the classic way of thinking about risk, and certainly in um, in financial services, would be there are financial risks which are risks that the organization takes and the expectation of earning a reward from those risks. So that, you know, classically would be credit risk or market risk or you know, risks like that. And then they're supported by non-financial risks, you know, i.e. the risk that the organization has as a result of the way it's structured itself to, uh, to, to, to take and manage those, um, those financial risks. But um, look, financial services... You know, whether it's banking or asset management or insurance, it is you know, like like um, like other businesses. It is not about risk avoidance or or risk elimination. It is about understanding risk, um, pricing it adequately, and then managing and monitoring it. There is very little reward in this world without you know without without taking risks. Mm, I love it. So, let's go to your leadership story. Because there's, you talked about the magic. I'd love to go back to what you were talking about, the Barclays piece, because there was some magic there. Then you talked a lot about purposes we went through. But just share a bit of your leadership experience for those who are listening, thinking, so how do I move on in my career? What would you share? I think uh, I've, I've accumulated sort of leadership attributes, leadership beliefs, um, and a sort of eclectic mix. I've learned, I've learned different things from, from different people, and I've... I've been blessed with working for and working with some some fantastic people, some fantastic leaders, 
and I, I've I've tried to take some of their some of their strengths and and sort of blend them together into into me. Um, when I think in in particular at Barclays, where honestly I think that was a really special team with with many stars. And actually, if you look at where the people that were uh, in middle and senior management roles in that audit function then. Uh, many of them are in very senior you know, roles in audit functions and and and, and other risk functions around the world. And I mean to 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 call out a few. I think Mark Carawan was the person who set the original tone goals there. Um, James Turner, Mary McNiff, um, Nadir Dara. There there are many superstars there who have gone on. Uh, after their Barclays audit, uh, you know, audit careers, to have astonishing careers in you know, leading audit functions or risk functions of some of the world's largest organisations, um, and in particular, I think were uh, at Barclays the uh, the the leadership tone was sort of really excellence in everything. All the little components mattered. You know, yes, set out a strategy. Let's not do strategy every uh, every day and every week. Let's set out a strategy, and then let's try and execute brilliantly on that strategy. Um, and every bit, you know, every bit matters. Um, so there were many, there were many wonderful leaders at, uh, at Barclays. I, I, I like to think that I did that, that I did my bit and grew, you know, helped to grow the next generation of, of leaders there. If you had to pick one or two of those, because, you know, if you look at where, so Mary Manifa now is City, very senior, yeah, running basically the US is my understanding. And then you've got uh, James, very senior Prudential. And then you've got Mark Carawan, who crafted a lot of those careers, yeah. Um, just tell us a bit about him, because I, I found uh, he's such a powerful character, yeah, in there. Mark was an astonishing, uh, still is an astonishing leader, he um, the the thing that he did uh, outstandingly well was to create followership. Uh, he he I mean he was demanding. Uh, he was into a lot of the detail. Many of us wondered where he found the minutes and hours in the day to cover as much space as he did. But he he created a a strength of followership. Yeah, you know, a strength in a number of followers. That uh, that is simply is simply astonishing, and the individual personal loyalty to to Mark was was astonishing. He also, I mean, he taught uh, he taught me many things. I learned I learned many many things, but in particular the importance of having having frameworks, you know, having sensible frameworks for uh, how we might approach things for the for quality the importance of uh, frameworks for how we develop our people, the importance of spending effort in getting to know, you know people as individuals and how, how, we may, um, how we may put the next stretch opportunity in front of them. I, I suspect, like, um, like many others, when I look back on my career, I, I look back at moments when, I, um, when the opportunity in front of me pulled me outside of my comfort zone. Uh, and, of course... Uh, that's when um, when you find out most about about yourself, what you're capable of, what those around you are capable of, how how to lead in those in those in those moments. Um, and as I've as I've got older and more experienced, I find it um, I find it super rewarding to find those opportunities 
for for my team you know what's the right next career opportunity you know what's the next stretch opportunity what might they uh, what might they develop you know from that from the opportunity in front of them and the uh, I, I think you, you you learn a little bit from doing a straightforward job very well you 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 learn a lot and receive a lot of credit for doing difficult things very well I actually think you uh, the greatest you know, um, satisfaction and reward is reserved for uh, things which are known to be broken or you know which are incredibly challenging and working out a way to somehow uh, you know, address those somehow fix those somehow um, somehow turn it into a success and you know we learn we learn most about ourselves not by uh, not by doing the easy things but by taking on the the difficult challenges taking on the things that are hard mm. what i loved about the the barclays culture because we got experience i mean i only met so we worked with barclays for years um but i only met mark three times and one of those was he's walking past me on a flight from south africa back he nodded his head and that was it but he trusted myself and a number of other people to to drive that but he spent and invested so much time in people but gave them space so to have that and the amount he invested in in the academies we ran but was a very light touch in terms of what what we did in them was was superb Colin, I think that's right. But the the thing that Mark did was trust and empower his team, and yeah, including in, including you as a virtual member of the team, right? To trust and empower that team to um, to build and deliver those academies. And I mean, look, I'd been a I'd been a huge vocal supporter of the need for those academies. And uh, so, of course, when when the when the ask for a senior leader to to stand up, you know, to go to that academy to lead it for the five days, um, you know, came up. Of course, I felt I really should put my money where my mouth had been for the last few months, and so I volunteered to lead it. And if you'll recall, Colin, that was when you and I launched the first BIA academy, um, and of which there were, there were there were many, many more. And in fact, um, just earlier today, I was talking to the Foundation Academy to thirty-five new joiners in the Standard Chartered Audit Academy. And uh, those those events are always have been, and I think always will be, really really important. Um, as much as anything, to create a networked team, you know, a team that are connected with each other. And I, I think the other thing, just finally on that, which for me, Mark what did was he put pressure on people. You know, he was, as you say, knew the detail and you wondered where, you know, the emails that used to come early in the morning and you knew they were coming. So there was a, there was a pressure there, but it was a good pressure in terms of excellence drive. Yeah. To, 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 to take people. So going back to your driven piece, I think there's a number of people who took that work ethic from Mark, uh, going forward. I think he had a big impact. Yeah. There's a sort of optimal pressure, isn't there? There's, too much, too much pressure is just wrong and unfair on people. Um, I remember typing the uh, the email footer into my into my Outlook settings. There, I'm sending this email at a time of my choosing, yeah. and if it's outside your working hours, I don't expect you to reply. You know, of course, we want people to feel under some pressure. You know, we want to have some performance expectations, and we need to temper it with a suitable work-life balance, allowing people to do the things which are you know which are important to them. And some of those things will be it will be outside work, and we absolutely must allow people to make time for that. 
Yeah, no, agreed. So let's that needs a nice link into the purpose-led business because you mentioned that a few times around here. And for people listening from the outside, just being controversial, but financial services, purpose-led businesses sometimes get a bad, bad rep from this. But my experience of a lot of those businesses are purpose-led, yeah, in terms of how they operate. So explain a bit more about what you mean by that, yeah. Yeah, so look, I mean, as I've as I've got uh, older and hopefully a little bit wiser, the um, the importance of working in, working for a purpose-led organisation is it's just more important to me in my you know, in my in my uh, in my middle age. The um, I'm blessed in working for an organisation at the moment where which is so purposeful. I mean, it's got a brand promise of here for good. And if you just think about the, the amount of um, prosperity, the uh, economic activity that a, a, um, a retail and trade bank can create across Asia and Africa, it's a wonderful opportunity. And that's, that's before you get to the climate opportunity in those, you know, in those countries to, you know, to influence um, you know, for the better the climate uh, you know, challenge that we all find ourselves in. So the, I mean, the, the purpose of the organisation is, is 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 important. Um, the, uh, of course, in the internal audit space, which has you know been my been my bag for the last last twenty or so years, it's a really purposeful role, right? You know, the purpose to protect the organisation, guardian for the organisation. People talk to you about you know, analogies like that. Uh, it's uh, improve the world, or at least a bit of the world in front of you. It's a real opportunity to to do that. Um, we we're, we've been doing a little bit of strategy work actually my team at the moment and the thing which has come through really strongly is the importance to our group of leaders of uh, of, of being purposeful and the importance of um, being clear on what we think that purpose is to you know to align all of our all of our people so that clarity on role purpose what we're trying to build what we're trying to do uh, I, I I just think it's super important. And when it rolls down into the leadership team, because having, you know, and I, I struggle with this myself, I have my purpose, I, as an individual, I have my purpose and drive. But then we get to the real way you make your money, which is you recruit people and then you develop people and you lead people in a way, which in some ways said, well, that's your purpose, Colin. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I've got my purpose. So... How do you blend your work with different organizations? You talked about, you know, Anderson, which I share with you, which hasn't, you know, I've now taken off the CV in some ways, but, and then you move into the different places where you're consulting purpose, and then you go into standard charter where you're part of driving that purpose. How do you get your team to understand that? How do you work with that? Yeah. Two things. Um, one is, I think just having having great people understanding what it is that makes them great, and trying to stretch them uh, gets you you know the, the the first bit of the way. The second step I think is with co-creation. So uh, look, it's in it's 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 important to me that we don't take Paul's purpose and make that the make that the purpose for the you know for the function for the team for the whole team. But we take our our leadership teams, you know, with a few a few layers of people, and we uh, together co-create what we think that future will be. Uh, I'm I'm a big believer in uh, in the power of markets and the power of innovation and creativity in that in that world. And um, I mean, look as as marvelous as a 
as a as a few hundred line blueprint created by Paul, as marvelous as that might be, it'll be not nearly as powerful and strong as the blueprint created by the collective minds of the leaders and the managers in those teams. So one of the things we've been doing in our in our standard chartered audit strategy work is uh, giving others the opportunities to to see a straw man direction and then to contribute towards it to say we like that don't, we like those aspects don't like those aspects etc so that uh, clarity of direction but also the opportunity for people to co-create it i think is really important in gelling that gelling that team together um, I'm a big, I, I, I'm a big believer. I have a lot of faith that if we're all heading in the same direction, we will, um, we will get a, you know, we'll be able to get a long way in that direction. I think the saying goes: if you want to travel fast, travel alone. But if you want to travel far, travel together. You know, we'll get a lot further you know, in uh, as a team if we can get everyone um, aligned and excited by, you know, by the same destination. And I loved, I heard an expression a while ago, but it, it stuck with me about nested purposes. And I never thought about that concept about how you get a leadership team to, to nest their purposes together, um, to work it because we want diversity. We want different views and points of view. And, and one of the things that struck me when we were talking earlier was about this, um, this learning you've had in your career about standing up for things that are really important to you, but those change over time and, our experience of working with different people changes over time. Tell me a bit more about this stand-up, because it's in some ways people see internal orders as a process structure, but this stand-up is key in terms of what you do. Yeah. Can I just go back to the diversity in the teams of the skill sets? Uh, we, I also believe in the, the, the power of diversity and inclusion and bringing all those different diverse, uh, diverse aspects, skill sets, for you know, thinking, you, you you'll get a better outcome with more with more diverse thinking. I mean, as marvelous as a team of ten pools might be, you know, ten people that look different to me will actually have a much a much better better outcome. Uh, someone said to me, inclusion and diversity aren't quite the same the same thing, are they? Um, someone I, I I heard a brilliant quote last week, which was, diversity is in uh, being invited to the party, but inclusion is being persuaded to dance the conga. Um, yeah. Yeah, we've all got to get people to feel yeah. like they belong because, in fact, they actually do belong. Yeah. To go back to standing up for, for, for what you believe in. Look, I mean, and maybe this is my internal audit lens on, you know, through my, through my business life. But the, um, the, to be, I think to be successful in business, you need to work out which are the fights you want to fight, which are the battles that need to be, you know, that need to be fought, and which ones, frankly, will just get you bogged down in the weeds. And um, there's a bit of wisdom and judgment and, 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 and art in that. But certainly the business leaders that have really, um, really succeeded, you know, they, they normally have a strong belief and they're prepared to dig their feet in in the pursuit of that, you know, of that belief. Um, I mean, there's a little bit now about in, 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 in the world of assurance of um, seeing the big stuff, not necessarily sweating all the tiny, de- you know, all the tiny details. And if, 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 the, if the details get in the way of making the big points, then, then you can't see the wood for the trees. So um, the much more powerful to be able to 
um, connect the dots, um, work out what the big themes are and persuade people that those themes are what's important than to have the list of 500 you know, low-level low level things. But look, standing up for, for, for what you believe in, standing up for what you think is right, I think is um, it's very important. I, my my father was a um, was a was a World War Two nerd, and as a child, I I I was made to watch hours, days, probably even weeks of documentaries. Um, yeah. But one of the things that came out of that is the for me the importance of you know standing up for what's right for your for your beliefs. I mean, my my wife's grandmother. Uh, fled the Nazis as they swooshed across Europe in in the late uh, in, the, in the very late thirties. And when you have you know, those kind of personal connections with those things, you um, you, know, you feel it's important to stand up for what's right. Yeah, and we've got a obviously uh, now we've got the the Queen's legacy happening in our world. But if you look at some of the things that she did, it's not always about front foot leadership it's about servant leadership it's about service um towards those and i think that's that's critical and i think also the thing that you said that resonated to me is a lot of people think that we have ultimate you know loads of resources to deploy to what we think is important but actually part of the leader's role is to make the choices about what is important collectively to what we tackle and what we go for um in what we do Colin, that's right i think i, I think one of the other roles of a leader which is perhaps um perhaps uh, not talked about as much as it could be, is when you've got a great team and they've got great stretch you know, opportunities and they've got a team of all the different you know, diverse skill sets you need for that activity, um, there's then a real power of just um, standing back and getting out of the way and, you know, and, and, and allowing those leaders to lead and not, not, not feeling you need to look over everyone's shoulder all of the time. Yeah, I would agree. And it's a tricky one to do because, you know, I'm going to ask you the question about, which I'm starting to do in all of these podcasts, which is thinking about the, the biggest experiments in in your life that's um, in leadership life or life in general that you've, uh, that you've taken that's led you to be successful. But there is a piece that as a leader, giving that authority and accountability to people is scary sometimes. And I'm a control freak. I will... Be, frequently admit it that I, and if you take the control out of the control freak, all you've got is the freak. So that is one of the biggest challenges to do as a leader. And it's difficult. And I think for me, if I think about you, that's one of your strengths and what, what you do. So just tell me a bit about your experiment. What, what's the biggest experiment that you've run that's had a biggest impact in your life? The one for me was probably in my last job at Lloyd's in the, where I was blessed with a wonderful uh, leadership team in the audit function there, um, and they worked really well together. And they they worked so well together that I decided to let go of the detail. I mean, I I, I too am a bit of a control freak, and you know I have an appetite sometimes for, for a, a fair amount of detail. And I I actively decided to let go of some of the management of the plan delivery, etc. And then to see how you know, to, and then to see what happened. And um, to my absolute delight, um, the the function carried on delivering. Right? It, uh, it 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 worked. It worked astonishingly well. Um, you know, the the there was a great team of people. They worked really well together as a team. And the um, 
the uh, for the I don't know nine, twelve, fifteen, eighteen months after making that active decision, the um, the detail in the plan delivery that that I'd been you know I'd, I'd had my sleeves quite rolled up at, and quite down in the detail you know, in the uh, in the early years there that plan delivery just just continued and. And it was really interesting. I, I, I recall making a really active decision with myself. I thinking, I'm just going to try this, and I hope it works. And if it doesn't work, it's on, yeah, it's on me. Um, and it, it, it worked astonishingly well. I think if you were to go back a few decades, uh, there was a, a belief that you had to earn trust to be given the, the space in which to, you know, to operate independently. And I'm, I'm not sure in today's career you know, job durations, uh, tenure, that there's, 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 there's long enough to really do that. You know, if it takes six months, 12 months to create that trust, I'm not sure there's really long enough. So uh, I'm, I'm now of the view that trust is given rather than, rather than earned. And that, and that pays back, you know, um, many times, many times over. Yeah, reading a great book by Stephen M. R. Covey, son of the great Covey and Seven Habits, and in his book, Trust and Inspire, and he classically says it, it is a bit of both, but it's mostly about giving trust. Yeah, trust's embedded into your mind that these people are trustworthy and work it. But then it's for them to, to earn the trust that goes with that, uh, and they did it in that case. Amazing. Paul, if people want to find more about you, get in contact with you where would they find out about you a bit more the easiest place to find me is on linkedin i'm i'm very easily findable on linkedin so paul um delighted to have you on thank you for sharing um as always a pleasure to to hear the stories and it's always it's good to see the journey that you're making so if you if you had to leave with one thing that you're working and your standard chart is six months in what's the one thing that you're working on this year that you've got in your mind and the one thing we're working on right is purpose. Purpose, strategy, the importance of uh, us having a team view about the direction that we're heading in uh, and that we're all coalesced around that. So um, I would just say yeah, having a purposeful goal, destination, etc. Lovely. Paul, delight to have you on. Look forward to seeing you soon and thank you for taking the time today. So that was Paul Day. I love chatting to the guy. It's just, um, there's a history. There's a, a journey that he's been on listening to that. But I think there's also just some of the things that he was saying in terms of the team, how he's organizing the team, how he's looking at the purpose and the challenges we have in the world around diversity, inclusion, innovation, the markets, uh, the challenges around what we're saying about the markets, about financial services, and then how we start to think about Asia and Africa and how Standard Chartered is a, a generator of prosperity for a lot of those areas. So it's an interesting conversation today to hear the third line of defenses is called internal audit from Paul. And then the story of the stand up and the opinions and the views and also the stepping back. Um, that he comes through with at the end around his experiments to give up control. Uh, it's fascinating to hear. So thanks for Paul for being on the, the podcast. Thank you for listening. And I'll look forward to welcoming you in another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast very shortly.